This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. We are the folks who talk to you, our lovely audience, about the films of the Walt Disney Company and all their assorted subsidiaries, LLC, LL Bean, etc. I am the host here, Ryan Kilpatrick. I am proprietor and sometimes blogger over at DisneyFilmProject.com, where we host this podcast and we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, the shorts, the true life adventures, the live action films, the animated films, everything in between. And the people who help us talk about those things are the finest film buffs that the world has ever known. That's right. I said it. It's true. It must be true because it's going to be on the Internet. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at touringplans.com. He's also chief technical officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com, and he is apparently wide awake. Yes, I am. I'm all souped up and ready to go. Get it? Souped up? I, I, I get it. Sorry, you had I, soup. I, I, I had soup for dinner. Yes, I did. You know what? So did I. Awesome. <laughs> so so this is an extra souped-up version of the show this evening. Wow. Also <laughs> joining us this evening during her favorite month, which is TCM's 31 Days of Oscar, would be Miss Brianna Alessio, who is a blogger over at DisneyDrivenLife.com, where she does attractions, but you can also read about her wild and wooly adventures at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. How are you this evening, Miss Brie? I'm good, although I did not have soup for dinner. I had grilled cheese. But that goes with soup. See, we were all simpatico tonight. <laughs> yeah. That's oh. right. I could have gone for some tomato soup, actually, but we didn't have it. I had none. All we need is some salad, and we're like a local restaurant. I love it. We are. Yeah. We're even going to talk about gumbo. Ooh, yes, yeah. we, we are going to talk about gumbo. You're right. The the fine and fabulous producer of the program, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, is with us. And if you want to read about the uh, trials, travails, and uh, editing struggles that she goes through to, to provide this wonderful free entertainment to you people on a weekly basis, you can follow her over on Twitter at CherylP3, or you can read about it at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you this evening, Cheryl? Are you feeling rather soupy? I am feeling rather soupy. That's why I made soup tonight. I like it. What kind of soup did we have? Um, we had tofu, veg, a vegetable stock, tofu, bok choy, carrots, mushrooms, beans, bean sprouts, all together. Impressive. I'm glad you asked her because I really wasn't sure. <laughs> but but you ate it and loved it. Yes. I use my mincing like, skills. And, and that other voice you hear is is our <laughs> fabulous guest this evening because it's getting close to Mardi Gras and we're talking about The Princess and the Frog, the 2009 animated film from Walt Disney Animation Studios. And who better to talk about this than a person from New Orleans? Wait. 
who better to talk <laughs> about this than a person who has lived as a frog? No. Um, all right. Well, she's my wife, and she's beautiful, and she loves the movie. How about that? Does that work? I think that works. I've been in New okay. Orleans. I even played the trumpet. All right. So as discussed, we are talking about The Princess and the Frog, uh, released in 2009. It had the unfortunate uh, luck of going up against this little film you may have heard of called Avatar. <laughs> Never heard of it. Yeah. It's, it, it's an obscure indie film. Uh, <laughs> it did, did, didn't make a whole lot of money uh, other than the most money ever. Other than that, uh, yes. So it was released in December of 2009, and as I stated, Avatar came out uh, around that same time and sort of sucked up all the box office. Uh, although I will say, uh, Miss Kilpatrick and I were there at the theater on opening weekend, uh, yes, Saturday we morning, were. with with lots of young ladies in princess dresses uh, to see this movie. So there was a lot of excitement about this film because it was the first hand-drawn animated film from Disney since 2004's Home on the Range. And frankly, most people wanted to forget that one. <laughs> yeah, they needed yeah. they needed to cleanse the palate after that. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. agreed. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just, but it wasn't just the uh, first one since. I mean, it was they after Home on the Range. Home on the Range was slated to be the last ever. Yes, it was. Until until Mr. Lassiter and and compadres uh, were were brought into the fold to take over animation, and they decided to reopen the hand-drawn animation studio, first with this film and then with Winnie the Pooh that we saw uh, earlier in 2011, uh, and hopefully more hand-drawn films to come. I know they've, they've said they're working on some, uh, and we hopefully will see some more. Um, but the, the idea with this one was to get back to animation the way it was in the 50s. Um, Lasseter as well as the directors, uh, Musker and Clements, uh, who you might know from this little film called uh, The Little Mermaid, or perhaps Aladdin. Woo-hoo! Again, tiny indie films that you may have seen. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, not, not uh, nothing. Yes, yes. Uh, the, yes, those directors, along with Lasseter, stated they wanted to get back to sort of the, the 1950s era of Disney animation, sort of like Lady and the Tramp, and you can probably see that in the... Uh, in the design of New Orleans and the design of the characters and that sort of thing. That's that's the ethos they were going for. Yeah, it's, it's my understanding, in fact, that Lasseter's favorite hand-drawn animated film is Lady and the Tramp. So. Well, I was coming across something on that, too, saying that that was kind of the... I don't know if it was the epitome of Disney animation, but definitely the hallmark of Disney animation, maybe. That's how he feels, anyway. Yeah. But you could really see that with the city scenes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because, again, as, as normal, we're talking in the early parts of the 1900s with this film because it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so a little bit after the time frame of Lady and the Tramp, but not a lot, you know, only a decade or so. Yep. Um, it seems to be a time frame Disney likes a lot. <laughs> it It is a good time frame. <laughs> well, I read somewhere, though, that it was about the four scenes were based on Bambi. The bayou scenes, they, they talked about basing the look of the bayou scenes on Bambi. Yes, I mean, we talked about during the Bambi episode how the uh, the animators chose, rather than trying to draw the actual uh, backgrounds, they chose to sort of do something with the, where they gave the impression of the background, so like the sketches, the like chalk outlines of, of grass without putting the line around them. And there's a similar uh, feel here in the backgrounds of the bayou when they're in the swamp scenes. So yeah. it was definitely influenced that way. 
I, I thought it's interesting because, like, this is the return to hand-drawn animation, yet it's not done in a traditional manner because it's very highly computer-assisted. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, that, that's, that's important to note. Um, you know, the backgrounds were – a lot of them were painted inside of things like Photoshop and whatever was convenient mm-hmm. for, for guys. Right. But also there was a lot of hand-drawn stuff that was scanned in on scanners, especially for the bio stuff and whatnot. Is they would yep. hand, they would hand draw them or hand paint them and then scan them in. Um, what I thought was really really interesting was you know how uh, Walt used to love to build mock-ups of things that were going to be scenes whether they were in animated movies or not. They actually yes. instead of building they modeled them in 3D on a computer to replace the old mock-up mm-hmm. concept, which I thought was really interesting. Oh neat! Yeah, That's neat. and uh, kind of like. So, Kind of like the best of Pixar and the best of Disney in one uh, one movie, right? Yeah, I just mm-hmm. – it, it, it's just – well, what I like is I like that they're, they're, they're doing it to pay homage to the traditionally drawn stuff, yet at the same time they're using you know the modern tools to accomplish the same basic goal. I, I mentioned that the movie went up against uh, Avatar, so the initial box office was not as huge as Disney had hoped because if you remember, the marketing for this sucker was – I mean like they started almost a year out. Uh, putting these thing, putting uh, Princess and the Frog stuff out in the public eye. They even had a primetime show on ABC. If you, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, the weekend before it opened, they did a uh, Tiana's Showboat Jubilee at the parks that started in October, um, uh, almost a month and a half before the movie opened. So they they kind of went all out with the um, with the marketing for it, and it did well. It just didn't do fantastically well like the old hand-drawn animated films did. It, it grossed over $100 million, almost $105 million in the U.S. and Canada, and over $270 million worldwide. But it, it, and so it did better than some of the, you know, the films from the, from the late like 90s. Brother Bear or, and stuff. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But not, not like, you know, obviously Lion King's a bad comparison because it's the most successful hand-drawn film ever, but not... Beauty and the Beast, mermaid type numbers. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I think is what they were hoping for by going back to the Princess Well. Mm. I'm pretty sure because they pay homage to a lot of the films that they did. Well, um, I noticed that in the scene where Naveen shows up and then the frogs crash the party and the dog's chasing them. Well, the dog and Mr. LaBeouf are both are both dressed like Hercules, which is one of the other films that they did. And then at one point, the dog goes sliding, and he's wearing mermaid. He's wearing Ariel's tail. <laughs> um, right. Supposedly, there's a the magic carpets in one of the city scenes, but I never did manage to find that one. Oh, I can tell you but exactly you, where that is. Oh, it, where is it? It's literally right in the beginning, in the second. The second scene, like when um, Tiana, you're first introduced to adult Tiana, and she had uh-huh. she heads outside, and she's on, oh, okay. uh, and and what on happens? The street car? She's on the streetcar, and then they pan across the city, and literally two seconds before the uh, logo for the movie shows up, it's right on the right hand side. Ooh, I'll check for that the next time. But you know, she says to him at one point, "Wake up, Sleeping Beauty." And then Mama Odie is a fairy godmother character, kind of like Cinderella. So they are incorporating a ton of different aspects from the films that they're trying to recreate. Also, the scene for the Mardi Gras parade, uh, one of the floats that came down was, to me, it looked like King Triton for The Little Mermaid. Did anyone else oh, notice yeah, that? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 Now that you mention it. 
the the other things is um, when Mama Odie does her her dig a little deeper number, uh, she mm-hmm. she throws oh, out yeah. two two movie references. One is she throws Aladdin's um, lamp at uh, her snake. I can never remember her snake's name. Juju. Juju. I watched Juju. the movie so uh, It's because they never like the snakes. Never have names I follow or understand. You know, in any of the Disney movies. <laughs> Um, and uh, also the um, you know how she throws the uh, tambourine at Louie, she um, mm-hmm. or Louis, you know she throws um, the grape soda cap from Up at Ray. Oh, okay. I remember seeing the soda. Yeah. I remember now seeing the cap, but I didn't put that together. But you know the frogs are on the balloon there at the end of the scene that I was talking about too, and I'm like, well, this is odd. They're on a balloon. That reminds me of Up. It came out in the same year. Yep. So I thought yeah. that might have been a nice little nod. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't even catch it. So most people usually catch the A113 on the streetcar, right? Did you catch mm-hmm. the other yeah. streetcar? Mm-hmm. No- did you catch the other streetcar number? Yeah. Do you know it what was it's? 820. Do you know what it's for? I don't know what it stands for though. I just remember catching the number. 820 stands is from 820 South Flower Street in Burbank, which is the uh, address of the Walt Disney Catalog Company, and I. Do you believe that they started selling merchandise for the movie long before the movie was even out? Which goes back to what Ryan was saying about how they really mega hyped the movie before it came out. Yeah, the, the merchandise was out well in advance, and it's been a huge seller for them to this day. I mean, they've made Tiana part of the Disney Princesses line. They had a whole coronation and everything, and uh, but Tiana merchandise has been one of their big, big sellers from Disney consumer products ever since the movie came out. So, in one sense, the movie didn't work necessarily in sparking a new, perhaps, hand-drawn renaissance, but uh, from a consumer products and a character and an intellectual property standpoint, it's been really big for them. Well, and that's who Her Majesty was when she went to the Bippity Boppity Boutique, so... Yep. (laughs) Our, our daughter yeah. decided to be Tiana when she went to the when she got dolled up. So and that's who she was for Halloween. So yep. there you go. That's because she rocks. Yeah, she does. <laughs> so let's talk about the movie. It is set as we said in the Roaring Twenties in New Orleans, uh, and we open with Tiana, our heroine, and her friend Charlotte Leboeuf being told the story of the Frog Prince by Tiana's mother. Because Tiana's mother is a seamstress and is making a dress for Charlotte. And Charlotte is the the well-to-do uh, daughter of a big man around town, Mr. Lebouf, who she refers to as Big Daddy later on in the movie. And uh, the, the mother of Tiana is portrayed by Oprah for reasons we can discuss uh, shortly. And they are being told the story of the Frog Prince, which if you're not familiar with it... Prince turns into a frog, has to get kissed by a princess to turn out of a frog. It's a whole thing with the deal. And it's when uh, Tiana goes home, we meet her father and see that uh, she and her father have this dream of opening a restaurant. Mainly her father, but Tiana is also a cook. She makes the gumbo and shares it with the whole city. Uh, and, and when a frog jumps in her window, she runs out the door screaming. And then when she comes back in the door, it's daylight and she is a grown-up Tiana. Yeah. Kind of like that transition. It, it's, it's very nice. cool. There's yeah. a lot of parallel scenes that that the writer in me just loves about this movie, and that's one of them. Is when she's a little girl and she's got the she's got the the piece of paper with the restaurant on it, and she's looking at the star, and there's the frog, and then you're going to be right back there in a few. 
Yep. Yes. Love that. So Tiana, we, we, we learn more about Tiana because she goes uh, to work. She comes in from work, sleeps for, oh, about 30 seconds, and then she goes back to work. <laughs> Uh, because she is working as a waitress to save money to open her own restaurant. Uh, And Tiana, the adult Tiana, has a run-in with Charlotte, who comes into her restaurant to see Big Daddy uh, and talk about the fact that he has been Mardi Gras king yet again for the fifth year in a row, and he's celebrating with Tiana's beignets. Uh, And they talk about the fact that there is a prince coming to town, Prince Navi. Uh, And Charlotte, of course, being a princess, not in fact, but in mind, has decided that she needs to marry the prince, and Big Daddy has invited the prince to stay at their house for the masquerade ball that evening, and Tiana suggests that perhaps food is the way into his heart. The prince is from a made-up fictional country of Maldonia, and uh, I just thought what they did was they actually made a combination of Maldives and Macedonia to make the name of the... Maldonia. Maldonia. There you go. It's very nice. I just like... I just like the way he says it. Prince Naveen of Maldonia. Yeah. yeah. Love the way he says that. Uh, so as, as soon as we find out what's going on with that, uh, we see Prince Naveen, who is coming out to... Uh, Tiana, the, Tiana is given the money by Charlotte uh, for the beignets, and that money is enough for her to put the down payment on her restaurant. So we see her uh, able to go and, uh, she sees the, the, the folks who will be lending her the restaurant. But before then, we see Prince Naveen. Uh, and he is the other lead of this, uh, played by Bruno Campos, uh, and has the wonderful accent of Prince Naveen of Maldonia. Uh, <laughs> but he shows up and we see him dancing and cutting a rug with his valet Lawrence there, uh, on the streets of New Orleans, which again, if you've ever been to New Orleans, is not, uh, an odd thing to see. It's, it's pretty common. And back in the, in the 20s, it was even more common than it is today. He, he plays a ukulele. And um, if our buddy Lawrence there seems like, well, a butler that's, he's very familiar to you. If you've watched One Life to Live, he was the butler on One Life to Live. Oh, no way. Yeah, well, okay. I was trying to figure out where I knew him from. Thank you. See, I, I thought he sounded like Eric Idle. <laughs> no. Although that would have been a great casting call right there. Yes, it would have. That, but that would have probably would have been more money that they didn't have. True, true, true. Yeah. True enough. Uh, unfortunately for Prince Naveen and Lawrence, they run into Dr. Facilier, who is a voodoo witch doctor uh, practicing his, his wares on the streets of New Orleans. And again, I will say to you, if you've never been, this is also very common mm-hmm. on the streets of New Orleans. <laughs> They even they even show him there in Jackson Square, which is yes. where most of the folks line up with their tables and do their fortune telling and song singing and whatnot. Uh, but but Dr. Facilier takes them into his shop and tries to tell their future. And again, uh, Sally and I actually went into a voodoo shop, and this is very yes, much looks very much like uh, the actual voodoo shop. Uh, that we went into where a voodoo priestess told us a lot of things that we didn't understand. But uh, Dr. Facilier is always tr- looking for a, 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 a good way to enrich himself and decides that he will uh, turn Prince Naveen into a frog, which we don't find out until later. But we, all we find out in this scene is that he's he's doing something to him. He takes a, p- a bit of Naveen's blood that fills a little uh, voodoo charm. Uh, and from that point forward, uh, we, we flit out to Tiana. Yeah, this this is something I like about this movie a lot is that it it is really good at driving the plot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 
Okay, which it, it, it really, I mean, at this point in the movie, you're only like 10 minutes and 10 to 15 minutes into the movie, and the movie is an, like an hour and 40 minutes long, right? So mm-hmm. that's yep. a really good place to be right now, is just pushing the plot along like well, this. I started saying, I'm sorry, the other good thing they do from a writer's standpoint is they really establish the goals, the motivation, the conflict of these characters. So you're, you're only 10, 15 minutes in and you already know that Tiana wants a restaurant and you already know that Naveen needs to marry because he's been cut off from his parents. And then throughout the movie, that, that conflict is going to drive each of their transformations because as the song says, what they want isn't really what they need. That song is the crux of the movie, right? The Dig a Little Deeper song? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, right? I mean, so when, this is actually just before Ryan and I started talking, uh, this, this movie came out, and I actually wrote a blog post about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, point, and I, I pointed out that, it's, that the entire message of the movie is that song because that song basically is telling them that life is not about what you want. It's about what you need and appreciating what you have. That is the entire message of the movie. That's very true, and if you think about it, that's why Lewis doesn't get what he wants, because it's not what he needs. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, they kind of convince Lewis what he wants anyway. Well, but then he comes in so handy when he needs to go help Ray, and he just jumps off the float, and I'm getting really ahead of myself, so I'm going to be over here. And we're done. Sorry. <laughs> what a great movie. Right from a frog to an alligator jumping off of things. It's like Die Hard. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> that that's another way to go with the movie though. That would have been cool, like Lewis and Die Hard. <laughs> Which is an R rated movie, people, so don't, you know, you're a warning. Yeah. Uh, so we see we see Tiana after this, and um, again, like you said, it does a really great job of driving goals, motivation, conflict, and that sort of thing. Because we see Tiana in the restaurant, and they go back to this Art Deco style with the animation as they show her singing mm-hmm. the song almost there and talking about the restaurant. So it's in the style of the piece of paper that she has that shows the restaurant her daddy wanted. Uh, and I thought that's just that was just a really great way to show that it's a dream, but to also make it have some some depth to it. And also to pay homage to the Harlem Renaissance, because I believe those were based on the paintings of Aaron Douglas, but just a nice way to honor the 20s and kind of bring that into it. Yeah. Yep. And so the the big scene in the movie, kind of the turning point in the film, uh, that that kind of kicks things off, uh, after this this frog transformation, and again, we don't see that him get transformed into a frog, but I'm not spoiling anything yet because, well, actually, we're going to spoil the whole movie, so who cares? <laughs> uh, the, the the big part that happens is at this masquerade ball, Tiana is talking to the bankers, and Prince Naveen has not shown up, and she talks to the bankers, and Prince Naveen and the what appears to be Prince Naveen shows up. Uh, and dances with Charlotte, but meanwhile, Tiana's conversation with the bankers does not go well. Uh, mm-hmm. They has showed up to offer a cash reward or the full cash equivalent for the for the house or for the restaurant, rather. That's because one of these bankers is a really bad guy. Both of Mr. them are. Mr. Finner and Mr. Finner. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Finner was an actual person. Take it away, Cheryl. But no, I'm talking about his... Oh, Corey Barton was one of the voices of one of the Harveys over there. 
Oh, okay. And and he is now and he currently voices Count Dooku on Star Wars. The Clone Wars. Oh, nice! It always oh, no. comes back to Star Wars, doesn't it? Always, always. Yep. So I just thought that I just thought that was interesting. That yes, he's always he's being a bad guy. <laughs> but I, I, I want to know this stuff about the the evil the guy being evil in real life now. You've, oh well, I don't know that that for certain he was evil, but I just happened to look up something about the Mister Finner and Mister Finner caught my um, attention. But if you were to Google Finner in New Orleans, you would find out that they really that there really was a couple of Mister Finners who were investment bakers in New Orleans about the time that the movie was set. I think there may have been some things about segregation laws, which kind of makes all the more poignant the part where he says, well, considering a woman of your background, which is kind of a nice, subtle way of grounding the movie historically without beating the kids over the head with what's going on. I wasn't sure if they were beating her because she was a single woman. See, that's why I thought thought that's what they were going, because... You know, she she is a single woman, and I thought I thought that's where where that was going. That's what they mm-hmm. were. That was a little dig at dig dig at. Oh wait, she's not married. You know, <laughs> women's rights type of thing. Well, now this is well, women would have gotten the right to vote in 1920. Obviously. Yeah. 1919, 1920, yes. somewhere in there. Obviously, I'm not appreciating my right as much as I ought to. Um, and this is set in the mid-1920s, so. So we've been right around, that, right around then that they could have said that we ain't loaning money to you because you're not yeah. married. Yeah, well, but I mean, typically, I mean, and this is this is an aside. It was uh, restaurant ownership and, you know, things like, and bakery ownership and stuff like that was very common for women back then true well especially new orleans that's the thing that for example uh one website was commenting on the amount of of champagne and whatnot and this is supposedly taking place in during prohibition but new orleans largely ignored prohibition as they do today not that there's prohibition but they seem to be making up for lost time um so i still think it's a historical statement on kind of what was going on but uh so the, so the bankers like sally said they, they they make this rude comment and tell her that she's not getting the restaurant and then stella the dog sort of knocks things into tiana's dress and and charlotte takes her upstairs to change her dress uh she changes into one of charlotte's old princess dresses and you know kind of it's at this moment where tiana's reached sort of her low point you know she's she's not going to be able to get the restaurant and she doesn't know any way that she's going to be able to make it work and she starts wishing on a star, which she has constantly uh, derided Charlotte for, uh, not necessarily like to her face or anything, but just you can tell the disdain she has for, for wishing because, as her daddy told her, she, you have to work to get things, not just wish on a star. And that's when the little froggy shows up. Indeed. <laughs> and I suppose you want to kiss? <laughs> Kissing would be nice, yes. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, like the two actor, the uh, Anika Nani Rose was the voice of Tiana, and she and Bruno Campos. I don't know if they were in the same room recording together. I doubt it because it's not. It the usual sounded thing. like it though, didn't it? <laughs> yes, it really does. Did. I mean, it sounds like. I mean, they have fantastic chemistry. They do. They really do. Yeah, especially in this scene. You know, go, the 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 back and forth of the banter in this scene is is really good. Uh, 
it's but very... he convinces her that that he is a prince. He needs a kiss to break the spell. Uh, she kisses him, and rather than breaking the spell, she turns into a frog herself. Right. Is... Well, he bribes her to kiss him. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about well. To back up just a little bit, a lot of things are happening in this scene, and one of the great things about Charlotte is it would be very easy to make her an unsympathetic character, but she gives up the thing that she wanted to do, dance with the the faux prince, we'll say, to go help Tiana change, right? So then in this scene, you have not just one character misrepresenting themselves, but both of them. So he's acting like he has tons of money when he's been cut off, and Tiana looks like a princess, which she's not, so... There's that great dynamic going on in that scene, where they're actually on equal footing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I well, I actually uh, Charlotte is one of the more interesting characters in the movie because she doesn't get a lot of time, but it it does have there are a lot of reflections of who she really is versus who she appears to be, kind of thing. They, exactly. They kind of direct conflict. I mean, she's her daddy. She's her her daddy's daughter because you can tell her father's a big softy right away. And the truth mm-hmm. is, so, and the truth is, so is she. Yes. Yeah. She she has surprising depth for a character that doesn't have any more screen time than she does. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Yes, I love I love Charlotte. She's she's probably my favorite character in the whole thing, just because <laughs> she is she is who she is, and she doesn't pretend to be anything else. Nope, not at all. But okay, we have frogs. Yeah, we have frogs. <laughs> It's like Jurassic Park. We have Dodson. <laughs> but uh, we have frogs, yes, and the frogs escape in the scene that we talked about earlier. They escape from the dog, Stella, uh, who talks to Tiana, which is mm-hmm. a scary thing for her. Uh, and they float off into the bayou with the aforementioned balloons and uh, are chased by all manner of creatures. Uh, but it's before before the chase happens that we find out that it is actually Lawrence, who is the pretend prince, who is working with Facilier to marry Charlotte and take over New Orleans, basically. Um, now, why Lawrence has fallen for this, I understand. His motivation is clear, right? He's a, he's he, he's tired of uh, waiting hand on foot on Party Boy Naveen, but um, I just don't think it's going to end well for him. I don't know how where he saw this going. Yeah, I, well, he wants he wants out at this point too for like a moment, and then Facilier yeah. just plays on his greed. Well, and I don't think he realizes that they have to keep up with Naveen for the charm to keep working. I think in his mind, he's become this handsome prince of Maldonia, and he's good to go. He doesn't understand that there are a couple of catches to voodoo. So they they get to escape into the bayou and are chased by gators and hole up in a tree for the evening uh, and have constant discussions about mucus. (laughs) it's not time it's It's mucus mucus, which is another great running gag i'm telling you they just this movie is just well done from beginning to end everything has a purpose including the mucus yes (laughs) well mucus always has a purpose it does it does to stop friction continue exactly (laughs) continue as though greased by mucus Uh, but once once they're in the bayou, they uh, then encounter a couple of, of great folks. Uh, first of all, we have Lewis, who is a trumpet-playing alligator. 
based, of course, on Louis Armstrong. And not only is he based on Louis Armstrong, but if you notice, he puffs out his cheeks when he plays the trumpet, which is something that uh, Satchmo was famous for. Yes. That's right. I, I, I like that he speaks in the third person constantly. Oh, I love people who speak in the third person. <laughs> Generally, I don't. Just This is like a brilliant aspect of the character. <laughs> I love the fact that you got this big menacing gator who's afraid of pricker bushes. <laughs> and Mama Odie. <laughs> yes. So well, to be fair, I'm afraid of Mama Odie. <laughs> I'm afraid be. of pricker bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> but this is a great moment between the two of them because here, when they escape from the gators, including the aforementioned Emerald Lagasse, um, she's doing all the rowing and Le- Naveen is hanging back with his little faux ukulele. <laughs> and and then he charms Lewis into taking them to Mama Odie. So that's like a, a, a positive point of his personality. But at this point, they're still established as she's hardworking and a stick in the mud, as he says later. And he's the party boy who doesn't do anything. Yes. Except exactly. he can talk Lewis into taking them to Mama Odie. Yes. But it shows how there. It's not. I mean, because the thing is, like, like you were saying about Charlotte, like, it could be easy to make Naveen into a one-note character too, mm-hmm. and he kind of, kind of has been to this point. And then this is kind of a scene where you see, oh, there is some positive to being a slick-talking charmer. Exactly. About yeah. <laughs> Especially like she is a waitress. Do not kiss her. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they have Louis. Louis is help, going to help them uh, go see Mama Odie because Louis, the trumpet-playing alligator, has decided after they tell him their story that he also needs to be human so that he can go play jazz in New Orleans. Meanwhile, back at the Ponderosa, we see Lawrence proposing to Charlotte uh, to to further the evil plan in a very hilarious scene. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a nice juxtaposition of evil and and hilarity. Charlotte, of course, doesn't notice because she, all she wanted to do was have the fancy schmancy wedding anyway. So off she goes. Isn't that what every girl wants? Pretty much. Um, I don't, well, I didn't want a big fancy schmancy wedding. But back on the film, uh, so we have everything set. But the problem is the the voodoo charm that has the prince's blood in it, uh, they need more blood. Uh, but unfortunately, Naveen has gotten away. So Dr. Facilier goes to his friends on the other side, which we haven't talked much about the music of the movie. Uh, but but that's the original song that he sings while uh, Prince Naveen and uh, Lawrence are in his office is My Friends on the Other Side. So he goes back to his friends on the other side and asks them for some shadow demons to go and get Naveen, and they are sent off to, to do so. But not before we meet Ray the Firefly, who is portrayed by the inimitable oh. Jim Cummings. He's so awesome. <laughs> I love He's Ray. He's so incredible. He is, isn't he? Oh, my I name is Raymond, but you can call me Ray. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love what leads up to Ray is the whole thing with the tongues and that they can't avoid oh, trying yeah. to chase flies with their tongues. And, and well, yeah. the best is Tiana. She's like, oh, no, I am not going to kiss a frog and eat a bug in the same day. But the next thing you know, she's trying to eat a bug. Yep. <laughs> yep. Can't help and herself. 
and they're trying to eat Ray. That's the that's the even better part about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they miss. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I love the little song he hums. You know, because they get all tangled up in each other, and he's just kind of between them, and you can hear this kind of faint humming. And it reminds me a lot of of my uncle, who is actually from the Cajun country in Louisiana. I could just hear him while Ray's humming his little song. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, that's right. So we get, uh, yeah, we get we get introduced to Ray, who reveals to them that Lewis does not know where he is going. No, the first law of the Bayou: never take directions from a gator. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and decides to turn them around so they can find Mama Odie. Yeah, I, I like that they're not sure what to tell Ray at this point because Lewis already knows that they're human, but they're not. They don't include Ray right away, so they tell him they're, that they're from far, far away. So they keep playing <laughs> back to the whole princess thing. Yep. Oh, that's nice. Well, and I love that as they as they finally make their line of, of fireflies to lead the way. One of them's cousin Boudreaux, because that is definitely a nod to the Cajun country. Yes, it is. <laughs> lots of Boudreaux. Lots and lots of Boudreaux. Uh, but that Ray Ray sings his his song, uh, and we we should stop and talk a little bit about the music because at this point at this point in the movie, right before we we visit or once we visit Mama Odie, um, the music is by Randy Newman, but he, the music is definitely New Orleans themed. So it's any kind of music you're going to find in New Orleans, they represent it in a song in the film. Well, not only that, but they have Doctor John sing the. Not the opening number, but the one where she wakes up and she gets on the streetcar. That's Dr. John. He's singing that classic kind of New Orleans sound. And then, of course, Ray comes in with, is it Zydeco? I always try to mispronounce yep. it. But yep. it's Zydeco, Zydeco. heavy on the accordions. And then when we get to Mama Odie's, we're going to hit gospel. Um, it's brilliant. I probably think that's that's one of the reasons why I love this film is I love New Orleans. I love the music and and the food and throughout the whole film, you've got the same music. You've got references to gumbo and beignets and etouffee <laughs> and a po' boy and it, it's right, just y'all finish y'all finish the show. I'm going to eat. <laughs> I I actually like this since we're on the music. I actually like the um the scenery with this number by Ray because I actually think it's one of the prettiest moments in the movie. That's gorgeous. Yeah. All the fireflies lighting up the swamp. Well, I just kind of dig notice, it. If you notice, the fireflies are a theme too because at the very beginning, where she's singing about the evening star, there are fireflies around the evening star. Yep. And here with Ray, we're following the fireflies to Mama Odie. And then if you look very carefully at the very end, they're going to come back again. Yeah. Well, the uh, Evangeline is the star at the beginning. Exactly. Mm. Well, but I mean, at the very end, when they're dancing out on the terrace or whatever, we end on Evangeline, and there are the fireflies kind of twinkling around her. Yep. So it's it's bookended. But <laughs> during during their travels, they uh, they encounter some hunters, uh, which is probably the most uh, derided scene I would say of the entire film. If anybody's uh, seen criticisms of the movie, this is the part yeah. that. That people dislike the most is is the hunters trying to capture the frogs. Which I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm from the boondocks. I'm from the middle of nowhere. I can take this this scene with with good humor because I'm sorry. There are people like this in the sticks, no matter where you are. That's not to say everybody from the sticks is like that. But yeah, you know some folks like that if you're from the country. 
I just know that this is this is a scene that people really you know dislike is is the hunters attacking them, and I'm not really sure why. Well, I wonder if those why? same people don't like the scene in Ratatouille. I'm gonna spoil it, folks. So if you haven't seen Ratatouille, stop now. Where they show, where he walks up and shows um, the dead rats to him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just wonder if it's like. The same type of people. It's a yeah. I don't know, but I'm from the country, and it doesn't offend me. So, I, I mean, it has that great line with, and we can talk too. That was necessary. That's like uh, the the start uh, of her character's transformation. I, I yes. get that. I get that people eat frogs. I just think it's a lot of work for such a small thing. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I've never been into frog legs. So I'm um, not. Did anyone catch that they kind of sort of have like an, a Mice and Men reference here? Because one of these characters clearly yes. is, is Lenny. Yes. I mean, right yes. down to the voice and the mannerisms and what mm-hmm. he says. So. And is, yeah. isn't one of the three guys Cousin Randy? Because if so, that's Randy Newman yeah. doing some voice work. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the one that you can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be a father and the two sons, right? I think so. That's what I was gathering. Yeah, yeah. because I, I love the scene when um, when Naveen ends up on the father's head, and one of the sons all of a sudden you see the him. screen. Yeah, all of a sudden you see like whatever the stick he's got in his hand coming up because you know he's about to bash him. <laughs> I just like it's 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 very um, you know Mel Blanc cartoony at this moment because yes. they actually very even much. goes. He actually goes, Pa, did you hear that suspicious thud? It was yes. very, yes. It was not a scene to be taken seriously. I mean, no. it was not. Yeah, I mean, the hunters are caricatures, right? I mean, like you were saying, exactly. Tiffany, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're just caricatures. But it's right after they escape the hunters that we have the moment where, where they really fall, start falling in love, Tiana and Naveen, because, uh, everyone's hungry. So Tiana agrees to work up some gumbo. She teaches Naveen how to mince mushrooms. They start cooking together. There's moonlight. There's Ray. And then Ray tells them the story of Evangeline, his, his girlfriend, who is actually a star, but no one is going to tell him that because he's just so earnest about it. And he sings the song, you know, My Belle Evangeline. And do you know where Evangeline came from? There was a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow about Evangeline, about the Acadians. So that was another nice nod to Cajun country. Look at that. I know. Evangeline was looking for her lost love. And instead, Ray's looking for Evangeline in this movie. There you go. That's so sweet. This movie has so much meaning. It really does. Oh, it really does. And there are other literary references, but I'll get to those later. Cool. Cool. Okay. And then so, so Naveen, and then when they get to Mama Odie, like we, we've already stated, uh, the song Dig a Little Deeper, the gospel song, where she's telling them, like Todd said, that's the whole point of the movie, is that what you want, which is to become human, is not necessarily what you need. Uh, and throughout the whole thing, uh, you know, Tiana has been saying how she wants to work hard and get her restaurant, and Naveen has been saying how he wants to marry Charlotte and get money. Uh, but as as we've discovered, that's not what they need. What they really need is each other. Um, and and that's the, the moment. Yeah, that's the moment where he sees that he wants to be with her. Right. And and she and Mama Odie alludes to Miss Froggy. <laughs> you're a tough one, or you're a hard one. That's what I've heard. So you know, Tiana doesn't get it immediately, but Naveen, pretty much from that moment on, he he gets it. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, Tiana is a little slow on the uptake on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they... She, so Mama Odie tells them if they want to turn back human again, they were going to have to go back to New Orleans and get a kiss from a princess who she reveals is Charlotte because since Mr. LeBouf is the king of Mardi Gras, Charlotte is a princess while Mardi Gras is going on. Which I thought is a convenient plot device that completely it's, fits within the ethos of the movie. Otherwise, would be completely absurd. Except for one problem. The movie kind of takes place in April. And that's not when Mardi Gras would have been. Yeah. But I'm going to forgive them because I love it so much anyway. I, I just like there's um, Mama Odie calls him Jabber Jaws to Louis. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and he's actually like, if you remember the cartoon Jabberjaw, he's actually like standing <laughs> over her just like he would stand over all the people. <laughs> yep. So it's like a perfect moment. Absolutely. Well, Wednesday's the ticking time bomb anyway because she has to have the money back to the bankers by Wednesday. And they have yes. to, yeah, kiss yep. people by then. By the stroke of midnight. Absolutely. Yep. So they have to rush back to to New Orleans, and it is uh, it is Lewis who comes up with the idea of hitching a ride on the riverboat. And it's Naveen is there on the riverboat, and he's wanting to profess his love to Tiana. He makes a uh, a very poor showing at doing so uh, before Tiana sees her restaurant and where she wants it to be, and decides that he or Naveen decides at that point that. He's just going to have to kiss Charlotte and give her the money and get Tiana the money for the restaurant. He, you know, he doesn't think that he's worthy of her. Basically, is what his, what his decision mm-hmm. comes to. But Ray kind of catches on before 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 Naveen uh, tries to talk to Tiana. Actually, Ray thinks he's in love with Evangeline. Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah. funny moment. Naveen's oh, practicing his proposal to Evangeline, and Ray's about to get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he starts getting him. He starts biting his hand. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> the firefly biting his hand. Yeah. One of the things, one of the things about Ray that I really like is they, um, they uh, put, they turn him into Superman several times throughout the movie. Yes. Right. Yes. He, he's literally he, he's flying exactly like how Christopher Reeve was set up to fly in the, oh, yeah. in, the in the movies. There, it's, it's really well done. Yeah. He's Ray. He's awesome. He's, he is. He's, he rocks. Yep. So when they get with, but when they get back to New Orleans and Tiana is uh, gets revealed to to her by Ray, what's going on? Because Naveen disappears because he's been stolen by the shadow demons. Not that uh, Ray or Lewis or anyone else knows this at this point, but Ray reveals to Tiana what's going on that that Naveen is in love with her. But then she sees Charlotte and Prince Naveen, the human, standing on the Mardi Gras float, and thinks that you know he went kissed Charlotte, turned into a human, and has left her behind. Mm-hmm. With of course, it is actually Lawrence who is disguised as Naveen, who's up on the float, and he has Naveen the frog in a little box next to him. It's complicated. <laughs> People is- keep up. I know, but it's the great mummy. He's like, if anyone has any objections, and there's the frog, I object! I object! Yeah. <laughs> I, I like how Ray's, like, all, gets all mad at Naveen because he thinks so, too, and he goes to, like, yell at Naveen, and then he discovers what's really going on. 
I love when Naveen is in the box and Ray's outside of the box, and 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 Naveen goes, "I just want you to get me out of this box or something." I'm not quoting it word for word, and Ray says, "I don't know what you're saying, but I'm going to get you out of the box." <laughs> I can't yeah. hear you, so I'm going to get you out of this box. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yes. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how he conforms, he forms himself from from the shape of the the lock of the box. Of the keyhole, yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yep. Uh, it's, it's it's just such a fun, charming movie, you know. Yeah, everything really everything's nice. really really fun. Uh, so Tiana decides that she is, um, you know, she's kind of heartbroken, but then she sees what happens because. The, uh, when, when Naveen gets out and he knocks, uh, the fake Naveen down with the frog Naveen and everybody kind of regroups in the nearby church and we figure out what's actually going on. And Ray uh, runs with, off with the talisman. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, and he ends up with Tiana showing her and telling her the truth of what's going on and Tiana holds on to it after, t- after Ray is stomped by, uh, Facilier. Mm. Mm. That He's awful, a bad, bad man. Bad guy. Um, but that comes, then we get the scene where Tiana makes her realization because Facilier uh, puts her basically in her dream where the restaurant is a living, breathing thing, talks about her father. And Tiana, you see, you see her waver for just a second of, I'm going to give this back to him so I can have this dream. But then she pulls back and says that, no, what she actually needs is love. And she turns back into a frog, destroys the talisman. talisman With which, the help of mucus. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, Mr. Facilier has has a bad end by his friends on the mm. other side. Yeah. Okay, run back to a scene we missed. And this, that's the scene where Tiana tells Ray that Evan- Evangeline's not real. She's just a big ball of gas, yes. That was so, I mean, I, I've never seen, I hate to say this, I've never seen a Disney princess act that way. And it was kind mm. of upsetting to see that. Well, but to me, that's part of why I like her is because she's a more well-rounded princess. I mean, when she starts cleaning up earlier, because, you know, all Disney princesses have to go through, like, a domestic phase, she's at least <laughs> cleaning up her own restaurant instead of cleaning up house for somebody else. And then you get to this point where she tells Ray, but Ray, Evangeline's just a big ball of gas. It's coming back to that pragmatic side because she's she's given way to believing, and then at this point she thinks Naveen has double-crossed her. Yeah, she, right, she's upset, but he doesn't even, like, he just shrugs off whatever he says. He doesn't even, like... No, he's he, he's talking to Evangeline. He's like, she's just talking out of her broken heart. He's still talking to Evangeline. <laughs> oh, yeah, he knows. He knows. <laughs> Definitely. But that was upsetting to you, Cheryl? Yeah, I, it was really upsetting to see someone act like that. I just didn't like the way she acted. I, I mean, I understand she was upset, but that's no need to... Here they had protected this bubble for so long... And then the burst it right at that point, right before everything else happens. And the plot, I'm not sure it needed there. Well, I think that's the classic black moment. That's the moment where all hope is lost. She thinks it's all gone down the tube. She doesn't get her restaurant. She's lost Naveen, for whom she was willing to give up the restaurant. Um, at that point, she's she's reached her lowest. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Doesn't last too long, though. No. Nope, because no, here comes Ray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, because Ray comes yeah. and saves the day, and as does Tiana with her mucus, by using her mucus-coated tongue to get it's the talisman. It's mucus. Yep. <laughs> But after Facilier is done with, they, uh, Tiana and Naveen explain what's going on to Charlotte, who, uh, hit, you know, again, has a moment of depth where she shows, you know, it's not about me kissing Naveen to make him into a prince so he can marry me, even though that's what he's offering. Um, let me kiss him so that you, Tiana, can can live with the kind of love that she's been, re- you know, dreaming about in fairy tales. Unfortunately for her, it does not work. She's a little bit late on take. Really quick, the, the midnight time limit thing... Besides being a Cinderella reference, that was a reference to the princess status of Lottie, right? It wasn't exactly. that they couldn't ever, it, okay, right. it wasn't it wasn't a limit on the spell that turned them into into frogs. No, 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 no. Okay. This has to do with Mardi Gras because if you think about it, Fat Tuesday would end at midnight and Ash Wednesday would begin. Okay. So the moment Ash Wednesday begins, she's no longer Mardi Gras princess. Gotcha. That's right. But it is a nice Cinderella reference as well. Yeah. But then, of course, here comes Lewis. Yeah, with, with Ray. With, with uh, poor Ray. Shadow Man done laid Ray low. And then, and then we have a nice funeral for Ray. Yes, yeah. we do. I cried so hard at that scene. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Well, I started. I started crying at the point where Naveen realized he wasn't going to actually propose to Tiana because she really wanted her restaurant and he was going to give it to her. That's where I started crying. Yeah. And, yeah. And then it pretty much didn't stop for a while. So please continue. <laughs> does, does the funeral remind anyone of the uh, the funeral pyre in um, yes. Excalibur when they push Arthur out into the ocean? Yes. Okay. Did anybody notice on a on a less serious note that one of the fireflies looks like a character from The Simpsons in that scene? No. <laughs> or is that just me? Oh, the, the one pushing <laughs> is the one escorting the boat out. Yeah. I, was I like, wasn't sure. I, mean, I thought they all were really good characterizations. Like I like the one, the one with the grandma with the walker. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I love grandma. Oh, grandma, your lights out. <laughs> yes. And then she got in trouble for flashing the neighbors. Yes, and then Mama Odie. <laughs> yes. I knew I liked that woman. <laughs> yep. But we have so we have the funeral, but then we have uh, Tiana and Naveen have decided they're going to live together as frogs, and they get married by Mama Odie in the swamp. And when they go to kiss the bride, all of a sudden they turn human again because she's a princess. Yes. Once they get married, yay! And don't forget that Ray gets to go live with Evangeline too. That's right. So we see we see Evangeline up in the stars, and all of a sudden there's another star right next to her. And did you notice the stars were touching, like they were holding hands? Yes, they were holding hands. But then, yes, Tiana becomes a princess. Tiana becomes a princess. They go to New Orleans and open the restaurant. So we have two of the uh, the great Disney tropes here at the very end. We have the uh, the the fake out ending. Absolutely. Normally, it's a normally it's a fake death, but uh, here it's just a fake curse. And then we have the dancing on the balcony. Gotta have dancing yeah. on the balcony. And <laughs> yep. then we have... You guys have not seen this yet, so... This is... Ta- I, um, then we have the possible sequel that they can make. No. What sequel? Thanks to our friends at the Sorcerers. 
um, who have decided that Hades, because what happens to Dr. Facilier? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, apparently he goes down to AG double hockey sticks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to um, Hades. To Hades. <laughs> to see Hades. And Hades <laughs> puts him in charge of the River of Souls. And, but thanks to our friends over at um, Disney Imagineering, um, it, Hades has, lets Dr. Facilier go so he can go get this crystal from the Magic Kingdom. So I'm wondering oh. if this can possibly somehow be also now made a sequel with Hades in, 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 the, in the next movie. Yeah, Charles, Charles talking about the source of the Magic Kingdom game. Ah. And, and he's actually one of the characters. You actually fight Dr. Facilier as one of the characters. Oh, and see, I figured keeping up with Disney sequels, then it would be two frogs that become humans and want to become frogs again. I don't know, oh, how, I I don't know how this would work. That is Princess and the Frog, people. Yeah. Uh, yes. We should note we should note that uh, since this was the return uh, of hand-drawn animation, there is a lot of really well-known animators who worked on this and who were uh, hi- highly recommended. Uh, Mark Henn, who was the lead animator for Tiana, uh, is probably the the least known best animator, if I can put it that mm. way. <laughs> I can believe uh, that. He 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 has. Let me, let me read you some of the characters that he's he's worked on uh, while at Disney and while not at Disney. Um, let's go with first of all Basil of Baker Street in the Great Mouse Detective. Uh, okay. He worked on Ariel. Worked on Belle. He was the lead animator on Princess Jasmine. He was the lead animator on Young Simba in The Lion King. He was the lead animator on Mulan. He was a supervising animator in the Iron Giant film, which is probably the oh, yeah. favorite non-Disney hand-drawn animated movie. Uh, he was a, and then he did Tiana, and then in the the new Winnie the Pooh film, he did Winnie the Pooh. So wow. it's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, but um, Anika Nani Rose requested that Tiana be left-handed because she's left-handed. So apparently, he accommodated that too. <laughs> And uh, Andreas Deha, who's probably best known for the work he did on Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, Uh, as well as several other, uh, he's done many, many other things like Lilo in Lilo and Stitch, Jafar in Aladdin, Scar in The Lion King, probably best known for his villains. Uh, Mm -hmm. He he did Mama Odie and Juju, uh, and both both he and Mark Henn were nominated for Annie Awards for for character animation for this. That's great. And there's also um, the animator Bruce W. Smith, who worked on Dr. Facilier. Um, he actually personally described him as being the love child of Captain Hook and Cruella <laughs> yes. DeVille. This is awesome. I thought that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then I could see it, and it kind of scared me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see it. It's disturbing. <laughs> and I have our superhero reference since we started adding those this year. Uh, oh. Terrence Howard, who is yes. uh, who is yes. Tiana's dad, played uh, James Rhodes in the first Iron Man movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go Terrence Howard, you rock. So, um, remember we're, we're talking about music. Um, at the end of the movie, right? Lewis plays in a band called Fire Five Five Plus Lou. Yes, right. Yeah, so that, mm-hmm. that's that's a reference to the, the the Disney animators band Fire Five Firehouse Five Plus Two, which is awesome if you haven't heard them. 
It's incredible. I can't believe they can play that well and draw. It ought to be a crime. Yeah, the Firehouse 5 Plus 2 was, I mean, yes, they, they, they were an animator's band from the 50s and 60s, but if you talk to Dixieland Jazz aficionados, I mean, those guys are the cream of the crop. Uh, their their albums oh, are still considered right. some of the most influential in the, in that genre. Admittedly, a small genre, but uh, very very influential. Um, but there's there's lots of influences in, in the movie from from all sorts of uh, varied and sundry places. Yeah, like Tennessee Williams, perhaps. <laughs> um, yes, I would love to tell you about it. So, John Goodman is from New Orleans. And I believe Randy Newman was born in New Orleans. And John Goodman has been in several Tennessee Williams productions, including Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, where he played Big Daddy. So you can guess that the reference there was was to that particular character. But my my favorite Tennessee Williams reference in the movie is where the dog goes racing across the table, or what it puts before he calls the dog, goes, Stella! In that exact Marlon Brando streetcar named Desire way, and I was like, "No way!" It, yeah. It's important to note that streetcar takes named Desire takes place in New Orleans. Okay, great movie ride. No. Yes, yeah, it also takes place in a great movie ride for like two seconds. Exactly, but yes, Tennessee Williams set more than a couple of things in New Orleans and lived there for a while, and so that was part of their reference. Yes. And it was nice. an awesome one. That's great, yeah. And, and also the, uh, the character that, that we said Emeril Lagasse plays is actually His named, named Marlon. Marlon. Yeah. As in Marlon Brando. <laughs> Most people think that, it, that uh, Streetcar Named Desire was a movie, and it was a very famous movie, but in fact it was a very famous play first. Based on the play. I think I know where some of these ratings are going to head out, but uh, let's see if we can... Uh, Get the final word from our panel here. So let's see, where shall I start? How about uh, I'm going to put Cheryl on the spot first. What did you think of Princess and the Frog? I really love this movie. I'm going to give it a 4.75. Wow. Wow. I'm impressed. Miss Miss Bree, your thoughts, madam? You know what? Okay, so I saw this for the first time um, shortly after it was released on DVD. And seeing it for the first time, I wasn't that crazy about it. I liked it, but I wasn't, you know, over the top about it. But yet I saw it today, and absolutely, I just fell in love with it. I don't know what happened. Maybe I wasn't in the right mood to see it. I don't know, but this automatically, just seeing it, just put it toward the top of my list, which is why I'm going to give it 4.5. I absolutely loved it. Every moment of it. It's just so heartwarming. And it was so well cast, the voices and everything. It was just unbelievable. I love it. I agree. Mr. Todd Perlmutter. So, like Brianna, I wasn't like... I liked the movie when I saw it way back, but I wasn't like thinking that it was stellar. But I've watched it probably six or seven times since. And it really, it really, really grows on you the more you watch it. I, it's, it's a really interesting movie in that respect. It's like I would never have a problem watching this if it was just randomly on the TV for me. You know. Yeah. Conveniently, it's randomly on your iPad. Yes, and it's on my iPad, and it's on my media server, and <laughs> on and on and on. <laughs> um, 
But so what's interesting is when I first saw this, I went home uh, way back when and I wrote a review about it and I gave it 3.75 stars. But now I'm more inclined to give it 4.25 stars. Yeah. It has so. gained a half a half star wow. over the, over two years. So in a couple of years, it, it'll be almost a five at that point. <laughs> no, because that's a wall you just keep approaching and never quite reach. <laughs> so I, I I will have to agree with 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 my fellow panelists here because I am I am not one to give out fives. Uh, I, I normally don't give out the half stars, but for this one, I have to give it a four and a half. It's not it's not five for me, but. It's so fabulous. I can't say that it's a four on the level of some of the four, level four movies I've said before. So, uh, and and my beautiful and darling wife, what would you rate this one? Uh, this is one of my five point movies. I and and that may have to do with the writer and me and the romance writer and me, but it's a perfectly staged romance. It's just beautifully framed, beginning and end. I loved it the first time I saw it, and I love it even more each time I see it catching something new every time. So I'm going to give it five stars. Great. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I've had a lot of fun. So until next week, you can keep in touch with us. You can let us know what you think of this show. Go over to DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave a comment on the show notes there. You can tweet us at Diz Film Project, or you can go over to Facebook and search for Disney Film Project and let us know what you think of the show there. You can keep in touch with all of us on our various and sundry blogging platforms. You can check out Todd and myself over at touringplans.com. Check out Bree's attractions blogs, my film blogs, and Todd's chief technical wizardry over at disneydrivenlife.com. And you can keep up with Cheryl's travails trying to keep this podcast together at about.me slash Cheryl P3. And also, don't forget to check out Magic 24.7. Listen to the box office report sponsored by us here at Disney Film Project. So go over to magic247radio.com and listen to that show so you can check out the box office report. So until next week, folks, keep it watching the movies. Why are those logs moving? I'm fine, but your breath don't kill me to death. Gator down! Gator down! Don't make me light my butt. Hush up. Look at the gumballs.